Okay, with Daniel Belioski, Gay Body of Music is the short film that played the LGBTQ Plus Film Festival. It's a documentary about an American composer named David Del. Oh my God, Del. How do I pronounce his last name? David Del Tredici. Del Del Tredici. In, yeah, in, in, in thirteen in Italian. He's. I'm, I, I should know this because my last name's Toffolo. I should know how to pronounce Italian person's last name. That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? That's <laughs> okay. Del Tredici. <laughs> So tell me, okay, so Gay Body Music, it's it's about it's about this composer, and then I guess it's in the title that he happens to be gay, I guess, right? You're the composer that you're writing about, or telling right. about? So, so David Del Tredici, he was born in 1937, so he's currently 86 years old. And uh, he came out um, a long time ago. He came out uh, kind of officially, let's say, in his adulthood. But as the film details, he really didn't know what he was in terms of identity for a while. Uh, he grew up a Catholic, um, a very believing Catholic. Uh, he was, in his own words, a quote, good boy who tried not to think about anything. And when he did, he went to confessional and uh, did everything that the priest required of him, all of the penance, so to speak. Uh, and then there was a shift in his 20s where he uh, just discovered, in his own words, sex. And he understood uh, his identity for what it really was. So he had never um, been sexual until he was. And it was almost like a, a switch that went on. And so, yes, so he is openly uh, gay. And um, he came out during a time in American history when it wasn't it wasn't uh, that easy to be as open as it is certainly now in more progressive uh, communities. I'll say. Like this is, you're talking about the 60s, right? So... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In, the, in the 50s and 60s is when he kind of discovered himself in that way. And, and, he he's, a, and he's a composer. Uh, in fact, he's a composer who is uh, in the history books. He's one of the founders of this movement in American music in the 1970s, essentially it started called neo-romanticism, as in like new romanticism. And it is a direct reaction to the kind of growing uh, academicization of music composition in American universities at that time. Um, the music in academia in the mid 20th century was, again, I'm generalizing certainly, but it was trending toward a kind of severe, let's say, atonality, where the music was, you could describe it as algorithmic, as mathematical, as uh, ex expressive, certainly, there's no question about that, but in a way that the common, let's say, lay audience member would not necessarily understand at first hearing. So there was a reaction to it among these neo-romantics, and David is certainly one of them, again, one of the founders, in fact, of this school of American composition. And the reaction was to write music that drew direct inspiration from the 19th century, the uh, quintessential romantic era in European music. So this new wave of romanticism was spearheaded by, again, individuals such as David Del Tredici. And uh, he's in the history books. Uh, he won a Pulitzer in, uh, you know, in the 80s. Uh, and he has a whole cycle of pieces to, uh, actually about Alice in Wonderland. So there's a lot to unpack there, certainly. But uh, he's a prominent American composer. And at some point in his career, uh, really in the 90s, he shifted a bit to express his individual identity as a gay man through music. And so that's why he calls this repertory, quote, gay music. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack what you just described there. So and, and so basically, he's a man that we should more know more about, like I'm talking about, like in the mainstream kind of pop culture world and kind of making a film about it is a good, good start. 
So how did the how did the film come to you? Like, where did did you know David before you decided to make a film about him? Like, how did the whole process start? Sure, it was actually it's an interesting story. Um, so I went to um, NYU, New York University, for graduate school. Uh, I've heard music. of it before, yeah. Yeah, it's a little school uh, for music theory and music composition. And David was one of the guest speakers this one afternoon. I okay. believe it was 2003. And, you know, all of us graduate students, we went, of course, because, you know, we, you know, in the in the world of composition, certainly we knew who he, who, who he is. Uh, so we went to this uh, talk that he gave and he played. And at that time, I was pretty fresh off of a recording project because I myself am a pianist first. You know, I started playing at five and I had my professional debut at 15 and on and on. And so I had just recorded a year prior to that in 2002, the complete piano works of this other composer, Lucas Foss. And I was, as it happened, the first person in the world to do so. So I had this idea in my head at the time that I would be looking for living composers and try to record their complete body of piano music. Now with Foss, I was kind of spoiled because Foss's entire piano output fits on one CD. Uh, okay. back then. It was one album of about 50 minutes, five zero minutes. And so I had this idea that, well, David Del Tredici's music certainly must be the same. So I spoke to him and uh, he, he sent me an album of his piano music. And I discovered that it's not 50 minutes, it's more like 10 times that. And he's a prolific composer. In fact, there is another pianist who did tackle this mountain of a project to play all of David's and record all of David's piano music. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, all power to him. His name is Mark Peliquin. He's a fantastic musician, a fantastic pianist. And he was absolutely the right person to do this. I, however, became sort of hyper-focused on several of David's works, and I kind of obsessed over them, and I played them, and I went to David's home in the West Village in New York City, and uh, he coached me, and we started forming a friendship. That's and it. over time, uh, I started making another film uh, in 2010 about this composer, Donald Harris, a Midwestern composer, and his very sort of acerbic, and yet beautiful, atonal piece, this uh, Sonata 1957. And I made that film, and then I decided that the next project has to be David, because I know him, and I know his piano works, or some of them certainly, and I went to David with the idea of creating a film about his early piano works, which was the essential topic of my first film about Donald Harris. And when we started filming, David uh, sort of in between takes, if you want to call it that, in the documentary, he said to me, you really should ask me about gay music and so i said well david what's gay music because i'm not gay myself so for me i'm i'm approaching this as an outsider and david of course is an ins is an insider obviously into his own life so david says ask me about gay music i immediately say what's gay music and he didn't actually have an answer um i suspect with many years now this is more than 10 years ago i suspect that for David, this was such an obvious answer. It was almost nonverbal. It's almost like asking any individual, define yourself. What are you? And if you're a creative artist, what are you through your creative channel? And David didn't have an answer. It was to him so obvious that it didn't require words. But of course, in the documentary, you can't just focus on a person's face and say, well, that's your answer. Yeah. So it took David some five years of me pestering him and talking to him and trying to tease out what he meant by this phrase, gay music. 
Uh, and it wasn't at all obvious until he finally said it some, as I say, five years later. So in 2017, we were filming a scene. Um, it was actually one of my favorites in the entire film. And that's what this short gay body of music is about. It's um, So David became quite provocative when he was writing his uh, gay themed music starting in the 90s going forward. And so one of his song cycles is called My Favorite Penis Poems. Um, Certainly, that can be provocative for some audiences. As David says, just the word alone, you know, penis, may carry certain connotations that are not comfortable for everyone. So we were uh, filming a kind of staged rehearsal of the last song in this cycle, which is called Please Master. So Gay Body of Music focuses on that song, uh, Please Master, which is a poem by Allen Ginsberg, which is to say that it's an explicit recitation of an SM relationship is not doing it justice. Right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's like the, the beginning of how to describe it. And um, so we were filming this and we're, I, I was joined by two wonderful singers, um, Chelsea Feltman, the soprano, and Michael Kelly, a baritone. And uh, we were rehearsing and discussing and rehearsing and discussing and everything, of course, was being filmed. And then finally, I just outright asked David five years after we had started. So David, what is gay music? And he didn't actually, what's funny is that he had an answer, but he didn't answer it as, as, as though I had asked the question. He didn't say, well, gay music is, and then he answered it. What he said was, actually, what's, what, what the more interesting question is, is why are there so many great gay composers in American music in the 20th century? That's how he kind of flipped the okay. question on us. And then he proceeded to answer, if, you know, if you don't mind me giving away the answer. Yeah, what's the answer? Because I think it's a very elegant and truthful answer. It actually has nothing to do with being gay specifically. What it is, is if you are, if you have an identity that is on the margins of society, you know, a sort of other or a marginalized group. So this doesn't have to be about sexuality it can be yeah. about gender it can be about ethnicity it can be about race there are many features under this generalized umbrella of the other if you are a member of that group then according to david you have to fight and work a hundred times harder than anyone in the mainstream group mm -hmm. to break in and to make your voice heard and that's really what you know quote gay music is about for david it is the first of all the recognition of one's identity in this marginalized periphery and then it is the absolute effort to break through those fences those barriers on that periphery to make it into the mainstream and to be recognized for what you are um you know the talents and the skill that you possess and that was david's answer ultimately and the way that he said it because yeah, the way I'm saying it is somewhat verbose and somewhat academicized, yeah. the way that David said it was he offered a really wonderful analogy. He said it's like the pearl in the oyster, that initially this irritant gets into the oyster, and the oyster has to make this irritant into something beautiful. And that is how he understands this concept of you know gay music is initially you know gay people in, in his words they wanted to kill he said he wanted to, they wanted to kill us they wanted to get rid of us yeah. we persevered so i'm speaking in his voice because the way he said it was so elegant and so this condition you know this this identity uh was an irritant to mainstream society at the time yeah and 
David was able to turn, again, to quote him, he was able to turn gay into music. The, so yeah. So the paraphrase what you how I'm how I'm feel answering what I'm getting from you is that it's freedom and security of being who you are. And then there's a community that's there for you to help you. And there's also kind of mainstream acceptance. So there's that other layer. So then so you have that freedom because you have that community to be who you are. But then there's also that freedom to be able to walk down the street and just be yourself, not being scared to be yourself, I guess. Right. Well, I think you're speaking. Yes, I think you're correct. And, and the way you're expressing it is in these sort of broader terms, which sure. is absolutely correct. And I think every individual has mm -hmm. uh, his or her own way of expressing that. And for David, it was through music because that is, well, that's who he is. He is first and foremost uh, a musician. And, you know, <laughs> he kind of jokingly, because uh, the other dimension of the film is not just his sexual expression or his identity through music, but just sexuality, period. Um, it's not random that he chose this extraordinarily explicit SM poem by Allen Ginsberg. Uh, he did it not just to be provocative. I think that would be too simplistic to say. He did it because it is, um, again, in his words, it is sex, sex, sex in a way that you can't run from it and you can't hide from it. It hits you in the face, so to speak. So for David, he uh, kind of manifested that uh, expression of sexuality in his own life very directly, very explicitly. I mean, he would, uh, when he was into his SM period, he would sometimes show up at concerts with another man being led around on a leash. Yeah. And I remember even reading about this in the New York Times that they had noticed this, that there was a premiere of David's piece and there was David all clad in leather with his partner led around by a leash. So this is all kind of shocking if you're not in that world, but yeah. that was what David was, at least at the time, uh, which was to put everything on display because if anything, that's a way of making sure that there is nothing, nothing left to be hidden um nothing left uh, i don't want to say left, nothing left to the imagination that's not quite right it's more of an issue of there's nothing left for anyone to decipher david is as he is he is who he is yeah well <laughs> there's there's like like you the, there's the sequence the sequences when you're interviewing him in his home mm -hmm. or there's a cage there's a there's like there's an actual cage right right but i think what got me was, <laughs> was when there's a photo of him of he's naked, right? There's a photo of him on the wall that he's naked. And then you pan down and it's a photo of him with Reagan. <laughs> I'm so appreciative that you caught that. That was such an intentional um, B-roll. Uh, yes. So of course we didn't arrange those photos. Those are the photos on David's wall, right? There's now. a reason why he did that though. So absolutely. And there's a reason why we shot it that way as well. Um, yes, that is David. You know, it, we are all extremes uh, in, in one way or another, either to ourselves or in our public facing lives, sometimes both. And I think David is exactly that. He's both. Uh, so a photo of David, by the way, that's a notorious photo. It's well known where, you know, he's not you know he's naked, but you don't quite see everything. Yeah. And then right below it, it's David in a in a you know, formal attire, shaking hands with President Reagan. Yeah. Um, that's what David was uh, the, the the man who could be famous but notorious simultaneously. Hundred percent. And he embraced that that role of his, and 
you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I'm not, I'm not David. I don't want to speak for David. I can only communicate to you what he has told me and also my sort of instincts about certain things, having known him for some 20 years. But my impression is that for David, these extremes sat comfortably. He didn't see these as paradoxes of self. It just was the entirety of the self where each direction, if you want to think of like the personality as a kind of bubble, each direction was pushed maximally outward. So extremes on top of extremes mm -hmm. and all sitting within this one personality that, that is David. And that's the great thing about music, right? Where he can go to different tones and different styles and different, whatever he's feeling in the moment. Like it's like the, the Reagan shot where he can, he can write like, I don't know, what would you, how do you describe it? Like mainstream or more contemporary music. Mm -hmm. and and then the masses can 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 take it in and, and love it and he can win a some 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 awards for it and then he can do some obscure kind of like you said snm kind of like swear words you know like really graphic sex kind of songs i guess right that's right um well this was you know it's and i want to tell you that i don't think that david's career a lot of people, even in the community, in the music community that David occupied, didn't respond necessarily so enthusiastically to his gay-themed music. Because again, it's, look, the business of music, as, as, as you know, is one that's ultimately dependent on an audience. We can't just sit in our ivory towers and compose for the table or for the desk. So David was always interested in, in his audiences. He, he, he could never be a person who would compose and then not care if the music was performed. So because his music is so audience driven, when some of his colleagues would tell him, you know, this is too much, these gay themed pieces like Gay Life is another song cycle, this is too much. You know, you're, you're really putting everything on display. It's like what I said earlier, you know, when David said I wanted to represent sex, 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 and then he also added in its seedier, nastier forms. And I don't mean to say that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that, you know, the kind of sex that he might have been thinking about was like cruising back alleys or the, you know, the sort of um, the sort of hidden uh, illicit elements of sexuality as I think for for gay men of a certain generation was the reality because it couldn't always be so on display. Yeah. So I think there was a bit of that that David was channeling and he wanted it to be on display through the music. You know, it's almost like a kind of, it's like an act of civil rights. It's, it's, it's I have to be careful throwing around that word because I certainly don't mean it in the uh, kind of traditional manner of civil rights having to do with uh, relations among different ethnicities and races in the, in the United States. But I think that there was an element of civil engagement for David with uh, promoting sexuality in these very explicit and direct ways. And not all of his colleagues, even those who weren't uh, necessarily straight, um, not all of them appreciated. So I think that what happened was there was a, a mild backlash to that music, but David persevered because he always took those kind of risks in yeah. his career. I mean, actually, he started his compositional career writing in what I had talked about earlier, this kind of academic mid 20th century, atonal serial style. But there was a kind of musical instinct within him that pushed back against those expectations, especially when he himself was a student, a graduate student. And when he kind of allowed himself to be truthful to his own 
creative nature and started writing tonal music. That is music that, like I said earlier, kind of alludes to the 19th century in both overt and subtle ways. There was pushback. Many people said, you're crazy. You're pandering, as it were, to the audience. And that's not what mid 20th century music in the academy was, again, I'm generalizing, was about. But David persevered because for him, the, the value of the risk outweighed the potential negative consequences. And that has been a theme throughout his entire life. I mentioned earlier that he grew up a Catholic. Well, he left Catholicism. He, in his own words, is a, quote, lapsed Catholic. Yeah. Um, he was an alcoholic for 10 years of his life. Again, this is all public record. I'm not revealing something that David wouldn't want me to talk about. Yeah. Um, he was an alcoholic at the peak of his success because he sp speaks about this, that he didn't have the structure, like the psychological structure to bear his success. Pulitzer Prize winner. His music performed all over the world by some of the most significant and important con conductors and orchestras of the world. And for some reason, David didn't have, as he says, the structure to bear that success. So he turned to distraction and that was alcoholism, but he was able to get himself out of it after 10 years because he said he couldn't do this to his own talent. He couldn't allow himself to just waste away and lose everything that was uh, part of, in his own words, again, this inner voice that he speaks about in the film and outside of it as well. Mm -hmm. So his inner voice was getting muted because of the alcoholism. So he was able to uh, become a recovering alcoholic and other addictions that you know plagued him throughout his life. But one key feature of his biography is the transformative nature of his personality transformation then another transformation and so on and he's always able to move forward even if that means uh alienating colleagues even if that means promoting a kind of music or a music expression or a creative expression that is not mm -hmm. au courant you know that somehow fights against the mainstream or the status quo but that's david so he is in summary a kind of man of extremes but this is exactly what he is naturally this is not some sort of artificial mask that he puts on a man of extremes and it's very powerful to speak with him about these things you know another i mentioned to you before we started that this short that i made a uh, gay body of music is actually a short version of a longer feature film called secret music which has all those components that gay body of music has but it goes even more thoroughly into his background into his catholicism into other pieces of music which are also extremely socially conscious like he has a song um that's about matthew shepherd you know that that tragedy of the teenager who was murdered you know for being mm -hmm. gay simple as that so there's a lot going on there in his life and the themes that emerge are that there's a tremendous power of transformation and it's not that you can interact with David and be somehow unmoved or unaffected it affected me again I mentioned earlier that I'm not gay myself so everything to me in this film the the exploration was as an outsider peeking in and being gradually informed of what David's world is like and it was fascinating you know I, I as a filmmaker, I think my obligation was to come at it neutrally, and I did, with no judgment and, and, and no expectations one way or the other, just to listen to what he had to say. And of course, since I'm a pianist, to also play the music and try to understand the music in my own way, but also in his way. And of so, course, all the other interviews. But so just, uh, let, me, uh, I, let me ask you a, a question, because you're, you're a very interesting person yourself. 
but you made you made uh you made the secret music like like four or five years ago what why did you decide to like make a shorter version with gay body music what like what was the motivation for that well that is uh in large part thanks to a colleague of mine uh gerald herman who had seen the film and then spoke to me himself saying you know there is a part of this film that's so kind of magnificent and that's that focus on the Allen Ginsberg song, Please Master. Yeah. He said, wouldn't it be great if we made a short out of it? So he came on board as a producer uh, to help finance a kind of cutting of the longer into the longer feature into the short. Gotcha. So we didn't do anything new for the short, but we were able to rearrange and as it were, construct this short film out of the longer one. And it was absolutely the right thing to do because it's right to the point. You know, the longer film has a lot going on as I as I was expressing um, but this one is just about quote gay music and so it, it might even be kind of like a good starting point to watch this film gay body of music the short and then venture over to the longer feature and discover more about David so I think these two it's almost like the extremes I was talking about with David these two positions on David's life the longer and the shorter are complementary to one another and they make perfect sense. But I wanted just to, to conclude something I was talking about earlier because I think this is really important because this is in the longer film, In Secret Music. Um, I myself was transformed in the process and that doesn't often happen. You know, I'm certainly, as a musician my whole life, I'm transformed by the music I play, but I'm never transformed by the composers. You know, when I play, let's say Bach or Chopin or whatever, I don't feel like Chopin has changed me. I feel like the music has affected me and moved me in some way. But here, talking with David, and this is why I make these films in the first place, talking with David, I changed. And I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote that maybe doesn't paint me in the most positive way, but I'll risk it. Years ago, 20 years ago, when I first met David, I was a young man, I was in my 20s. And I came over to David's house and he was telling me something about a song that he had set by this poem, poet named Antler as in the antlers of a, of a deer. Yes. So, and he said, and my question was, oh, what's his last name? So David says, you're such a square. Why do you assume that people have to have a last name? Well, it was a good question. Why make certain assumptions that everything has to be heteronormative or just normative? So one major thing that David taught me was to let go of certain inhibitions that were not just in my regular life, but they also impacted the way I performed music. And with David's music, you must let go of inhibitions. You must let go of boundaries and barriers. And the end of secret music, if I could kind of reveal certain things, is I play this one beautiful piece of David's called The Ballad in Yellow, which was originally, again, thematically, it was a song. It was a song for baritone voice and piano um, set to the poetry of Federico Garcia Lorca. Um, and then David rewrote it as a piano solo and I played this piece and it was transformative and in the film I play it and David is like on the verge of tears there's some something hits him where he feels like the floodgates opened and something in me was revealed that I as a pianist broke through something some inhibition some barrier that was holding me back and that was the aha moment when we were shooting, I remember this moment very, very distinctively, very well, it happened 10 years ago, that 
something changed permanently in my freedom or the ability to be free in expression. And that doesn't have to be exclusively about music. That can be a, a valuable lesson for all of us in our daily lives that there's, you know, obviously within certain parameters, let go of some things, be free uh, in, in, in certain things, in ex expression, in behavior. Um, and, you know, David has done that in spades and in extremes, definitely. And I don't recommend that most people do what David has done in his life, in music and outside of it. There's a lot going on there. And uh, it, it's not for everyone. It was for David, but not, not for me, though. But I did things in my own life where I was restricted. And I yeah. was able to let go because of David. And that was an invaluable lesson. Gotcha. Well, this dude, you're a fantastic communicator, and that's why you're a great filmmaker. And you're obviously, you can do more links on the podcast. Like, you're just, you're a very talented uh, musician as well. So I could talk to you for a long time, but I, I, this is just, yeah. a, this is kind of an amazing film. And I wish the yeah. ultimate luck, I think, was a genius idea to turn into a short. Like you said, it's like a good segue to the, to the feature that you did. So I think what you're doing is amazing. So I, I think that you're almost doing like the, the, you're doing like music historian with your documentary films. So congratulations on this success and I uh, hope you make more films. I hope we get to talk again. I hope so too, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me on the, on the show, on the podcast. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel, Schlemizel, Hasenberg.